This episode of the Trek Geeks podcast is brought to you by Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery companion. Break down each week's brand new episode of the sixth live-action Star Trek series with us every Monday during the season. To subscribe on your iPhone, Android, or other device, visit our website at discoveringtrek.com. Hi, this is Michelle Specht. I play Dr. Elise McKenna on Star Trek Continues. Oh my God, I'm totally fangirling right now because I just met Dan Davidson and Bill Smith of the Trek Geeks podcast. Oh my gosh, they are amazing. little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, your independent Star Trek podcast. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Trek Geeks. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and this week I've actually introduced myself, so I'm already ahead of the game. We're, uh, we're so excited you joined us. Thank you for downloading and listening. We're always happy to be a part of your week, and uh, hopefully we have some great discussion for you today. I say hopefully because I'm about to introduce my co-host, and we all know that, we all know that can go sideways at any given moment. If he were put on trial for the crimes of humanity... Let's just say we'd all be put in jail, galactic Q jail for the rest of our lives. He is the very guilty Dan Davidson. Dan, thanks for ruining it for the rest of us, buddy. Shut off that damn noise. I Meaning would love you. to turn off your microphone. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for that wonderful introduction, Bill. As always, you just every week you raise the bar, man. It's a little better every week. One of these days, I might even laugh at it. But thanks. That would presume you have a sense of humor, and you, we know you don't. Oh, this is going to be a fun day, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. And as, as you've alluded to, Dan, we're going to talk about, um, as a continuation of our TNG 30 celebration, we're going to talk about the episode that started it all for Next Gen. Yes, indeed. It's, uh, we're wrapping up the 30th anniversary here uh, in 2017, so why not go back to the very beginning with Encounter at Farpoint? Um, rewatched it this week, and uh, it's time to talk about that first one that we've had since the late 60s. Wow, it's really amazing to think of when you think about it. Yeah, you know, it's it, at times, you know, it, I have to remind myself that the gap was really less than 20 years as far as television series, and even less when you talk about the last feature film, which I'm sure we'll get into later on, but um. It definitely kicked off a brand new era for Star Trek, one that we're still kind of enjoying the fruits of today, I think. I think so, too. It's funny that you say it was it was less than 20 years. When you're young back then, as we were, it sure seemed like it was a lot longer, didn't it? Absolutely. It did. Sorry, I was taking a sip of coffee because I thought you were going to talk for longer. <laughs> no, I'd rather hear your voice than mine. So, uh, as little oh, as don't possible. I know it. Don't I know it. <laughs> um, 
Dan, speaking of hearing voices, we'd love to hear the voice of the people who listen to this podcast. How might they give us their comments, suggestions, episode recommendations, or other communiques? I would be happy to go through that list, Mr. Segway King. On Twitter, Facebook, Skype, and Instagram, you can find us at Trek Geeks, or you can send us an email at podcast at trekgeeks.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, uh, you can do so by calling 508-784-1701. You can also do the same thing by going to speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks. And hey, you know, we'd love it if you join our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. There's always great things happening over there. There's Star Trek talk, Star Trek picks, contests, polls, you name it. It's going on over there. And uh, to join the group, all you need to do is go to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. And Heather, Jackie, or Dan will uh, let you right in to join in on all the fun at Camp Kittimer. But you must remember that any messages or comments that you leave in any of these places may be used in a future episode, and I'm going to send it back to Bill. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate that big time, muchacho. <laughs> muchacho, where did I pull that from? <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm love that one. We're going to have to use that more. Dan. Yes, sir. I don't know if you know this, Uh-oh. but I have it on good authority. Mm-hmm. And it's time for the news from treknews.net. <laughs> Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. <laughs> for all the news on all the Star Treks. <laughs> it's treknews.net. <laughs> Online at treknews.net. And Dan up first. You know, buddy, this is something we've known was coming for a while, and um, we've not wanted to necessarily, you know, acknowledge the fact that it was coming for a while. But Dan, the final episode of Star Trek Continues, as this episode drops, premiered online yesterday. Uh, Yeah. Yes, indeed. To Boldly Go Part 2 is going to wrap up that critically acclaimed fan series that we love so much. Uh, the 11th episode did drop yesterday, and um, I have a feeling we'll be talking about it soon, but uh, we want everyone to go out and watch it as well and see how this five-year mission actually wraps up. It's available on YouTube, Vimeo, or head right on over to StarTrekContinues.com and check it out. Uh, I I absolutely am positive that you will not be disappointed in uh, in what we're going to see here in this final episode. Bill? All we can say is prepare yourselves. You know, watch it uninterrupted, if if at all humanly possible. If you can, watch part one and then go straight into part two. But um, uh, I, we think that that you'll agree that it uh, it's a fitting conclusion to this series. And they really just, well, they not only raised the bar, they took the bar and put it in a place where nobody else is going to touch it. Fair enough? I, I guess you could say the bar has boldly gone where it's never gone before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, That's a great way to um, put it. You know, we it's no secret how much we love everybody at Star Trek Continues, and it's so amazing to watch what they have done. But at the same time, I'm a little heartbroken that this is the last one, and and I'm dead serious when I say that. Um, they wrapped it up. They did it the way they wanted to do it, and it's fantastic. But at the same time, it's it just – it, it kind of sucks. <laughs> it does. I mean, we absolutely admit to having a bias for the series – Partly because, you know, we have so many friends that that have worked on it, but uh, 
before that because it was just so good. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you put out superior content, you you get superior results. And the result for me was, you know, absolute fandom. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Gonna miss them. <laughs> yeah. No, nice. Um, so, Dan, up next, it appears that the documentary Remembering Leonard Nimoy, the one by Leonard's daughter, Julie Nimoy, and David Knight, is set to air throughout the month of November. Yeah, this is pretty great. Uh, PBS affiliate stations in New York, Boston, uh, L.A., Philadelphia, Chicago, Indianapolis, Salt Lake City, San Antonio, Denver, Cincinnati, and more. It's pretty much all across the country uh, are going to be showing this film. Uh, Of course, as as you may or may not know, it looks into Leonard's extraordinary life on and off screen, along with his battle with COPD. Uh, It premiered earlier this year in Boston on a local PBS affiliate, uh, which, of course, Boston was Leonard Nimoy's birthplace. And it performed so well that uh, it garnered a national push. So we are going to finally have that. And uh, it's something that you should definitely uh, check out. Uh, Any fan of Leonard Nimoy, I think, will be uh, very touched by what they're going to see in this documentary. I've not seen it yet. Um, I imagine I will at some point after it it is aired on PBS. I do know plenty of people who have and have had nothing but uh, wonderful things to say about the film. Um, Absolutely. And um, uh, of course, there was a lot of cities that I mentioned there. Uh, Head on over to treknews.net and you can get that complete list of air dates and areas where it's going to be playing. And uh, I had a chance to talk to to Julie Nimoy at STLV this past summer. And uh, I am really looking forward to sitting down uh, and watching this. Uh, Some of the things I've read online about it are are sad and and joyous. And it's going to be an emotional roller coaster, I'm sure. Without a doubt. And Dan, lastly in news, you know, the fall finale of Star Trek Discovery aired this past Sunday. And of course, we're not going to talk about any spoilers. But the thing we will tell people is that CBS has already announced the winter premiere. Yes. Good news. Uh, kind of. Uh, yeah. Well, of course, it's good news, but we'll get into the kind of in a second. The series is going to return uh, on January 7th, a little earlier than I thought it was going to be, but I'm very happy about that. So January 7th, uh, 2018 at 830. The show will return, uh, Eastern Time, I should say. Uh, the show will return for six more episodes to round out the first season uh, with a finale that is scheduled for February 11th. And the first episode is going to be called Despite Yourself. So it's actually episode 10, but it will be the first episode uh, starting on January 7th. Very exciting stuff, wouldn't you say, partner? Uh, without a doubt, I am very excited that it's returning. My concern, however, is that the penultimate episode of the season is going to air Dan on Super Bowl Sunday, and I, this strikes me as not the best planning by CBS. Yeah, I have to admit the, that I was not thrilled to see that. Of course, you and I being uh, where we are, uh, it's it, it's going to pose a it's going to pose a huge conflict for people in New England who are New England fans and whomever else plays in the Super Bowl uh, this year. So um, hopefully those two markets will be able to figure out a way to be able to uh, have their cake and, and eat it too while they're hosting the Lombardi Trophy uh, by TB12, right? I am right there with you. I, I can tell you that, uh, you know, if, if that's the choice, you know, if that's the choice we have to make, I'm probably going to miss the third quarter so that I can watch Star Trek Discovery. It's just that simple. 
Yeah, the way that I look at it, I was actually talking with my family about this over the weekend because, you know, we're all huge Star Trek fans. And of course, we love watching our team in the Super Bowl. And, and if that is the case again this year, um, the, the good thing about Discovery is that it's streaming. So if we need to watch it after the game, that's a possibility. But I'm, I, I'm being pulled in both directions right now. I'm not sure which way I'm going to go yet. Well, the one thing I can tell you is that it's not going to be Tim Robertson Steelers in the Super Bowl, so he won't have to worry about a thing. <laughs> Careful, Bob Myers might be listening too, you know. <laughs> that's true, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll see what happens. I'm very excited that Discovery's back January 7th. Very much looking forward to the finale on February 11th. I have a feeling it's going to be um, uh, amazing and incredible. I, I can only hope that... Yeah, that there's a lot that happens to that that's exciting and and makes us really really crave season two. I was just going to say, and that the thing that's going to be great after uh, this last episode on February 11th is that we get to look forward to yet another season of Star Trek Discovery coming. We're thinking probably in early 2019, but still, we're going to be in anticipation of yet another season of Star Trek, and that's never a bad thing. So at the tail end of the last segment, you talked about the anticipation of Star Trek. And that is perhaps a a perfect segue in the discussion we're about to have now regarding the premiere episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, Encounter at Farpoint. You know, Dan, there was a time when we the only Star Trek we were anticipating was the next movie. Right. And I think that by the time a new series was announced, you know, our our minds were kind of blown a little bit. Oh, absolutely. I've said recently that um, you said it also that it had been 20 ish years since there was uh, live action uh, Star Trek on television. And back then it seemed like it had been a lot longer because all we had were the reruns of the original series on our local Boston affiliate that we would watch over and over and over again. Uh, So the idea of something new with Star Trek was was really mind blowing. It was exciting. And it was, it was like, Oh my God, I'm not going to have to drive to the local cinema to see another Star Trek adventure. So it was, it was pretty cool. Well, let's take a look at where fandom was in in this time, especially like the years 1986 and 1987. Right. So you figure we had just come off of the most successful Star Trek film of all time at that point, which was Star Trek for the voyage home, the one with the whales. (laughs) George that's the sub, yeah, George and Gracie. That's the subtitle I think it should have. Star Trek Four: The One with the Whales. <laughs> and the movies were incredibly successful at this point. We just had the sort of, you know, mini trilogy inside the franchise of Star Trek Two, Three, and Four, um, all of which you know w- were received incredibly well by fans and moviegoers alike. And then Paramount kind of wanted to strike while the franchise was hot, right? I mean, I know I'm I'm taking a big, long story and encapsulating it into a few seconds, but what it boils down to is Paramount decided they wanted a series, and they decided to make it happen. Initially, they were going to try to launch a network and said, eh, let's do syndication. So they went for syndication, and NextGen really became sort of the forerunner of first-run syndicated drama, which I think is fascinating. I think that one of the things that has always interested me about how this actually took off is if you remember back in the 70s, I think it was, they were planning on creating a new Star Trek show. Was it was it Star Trek 
what was the name of it going to be? Star Trek two phase two. Seriously. It wasn't that what it was going to be called Star Trek phase two phase two. Right. And that kind of failed. So I think there was a lot of skepticism that this was actually going to make it and, and be, and be done. So as it got closer and closer to becoming reality, uh, it got, I think people on both sides of the positive negative got more amped up about this was going to really happen. Well, but there was also that aspect of fandom, and I, I have admitted many times on this year podcast that I was one of these people mm-hmm. that essentially said, if it, it doesn't have Kirk and Spock, it doesn't have me. Right. And, and it's it's kind of not unlike what we're hearing with Discovery these days, as we talked about in our last episode, sort of those people who were being negative for the sake of being negative. And admittedly, I was one of those people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I were you one of those people at that particular time or were you more cautiously optimistic or were you all in? No, I was all in. And that's why I say on both sides of the equation, you had the people that say, if it doesn't have Kirk and Spock, I want nothing to do with it. And at the time, we didn't have the the social media that we do now. So it wasn't it didn't seem to be as vocal as we're seeing these days. But there were a lot of things going on that people that weren't excited about it. We saw articles in, in newspapers and in magazines about that. I was I was very excited. I knew that this was going to be new Star Trek, and I was excited about it because that's when I was really, really deep into, into watching TOS all the time. I can remember it was the time that VHS – versions of of the original series were coming out and and just starting college um not really having a lot of cash to purchase these things these vhs tapes that i think were like 20 bucks a pop just for one episode so just to give you an idea of what it was like back then i only had like six or seven episodes on tape so i watched them over and over and over again so the idea of new trek coming in was very very exciting for me Ah uh, yes, the CBS Video Library Collection, <laughs> where you could get two episodes on a tape for like thirty bucks. Oh yeah, this was this was a different version. This was um, uh, this was only one episode per per VHS that I had, uh, so it was even uh, more on my shelf, so to speak. Oh wow! Yeah, wow! It's it's a shame people have never paid for Star Trek before. Um, <laughs> um so so let's talk about watching. Farpoint for the very first time. I mean, I know we've talked in the past about how you didn't necessarily see it right away. When you did see it, what were your thoughts? I mean, how did you react? Oh, I did see the first episode the first night it aired. Okay, my mistake. Encounter, yeah, I was in Colorado at the time, as a matter of fact. Um, I attended Colorado State University for uh, a little while. And when it first aired, uh, I was there and watched it with a few friends. And what did you think about the episode overall? I mean, did were you excited uh, by it? Or did you enjoy it? At the time, I was very excited. I do believe I enjoyed it very much. But at the same time, I was really confused about a lot of things going on. You know, it's 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 one of the first times I, I had, you know, gotten involved in watching a show, especially a brand new show. And it was Star Trek to, to add on to it with all these new people, not realizing who these people are new ship uh i've i i uh, distinctly remember the scene with admiral mccoy i was like freaking out because it was one of the people that i knew and i just thought that was amazing but i i do remember uh, being excited and enjoying it but as i said being confused about what was going on this is new who's this q guy uh all that kind of stuff yeah so 
I watched it the evening of my 18th birthday. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. This is my birthday present to myself. And in the middle of the episode premiering on WCVB TV Channel 5 in Boston, the ABC affiliate, ABC News cut to a special report right in the middle. Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> so I had to, um, to, to try to figure out when it was on again. And it was on again at like 3 a.m. on Sunday morning. And so I set my VCR and I had to watch it that way. So I got up the next morning and watched it. And then I What was the what was the report? <laughs> um you know I don't remember. I don't remember. But it was something like national news type deal. You know, back in the days where they, you know, would interrupt network programming for whatever. But I remember watching it and I was incredibly disappointed. Mm. I uh I was let down. I was like this it, this this is what we're going to watch. This is Star Trek. And I got to tell you, at first glance, I hated the Enterprise D. I mean, Let me it was ask just, you this. Yeah, go ahead. Because as you're saying that, things are popping into my head. I was excited for Trek. So I remember at the time enjoying it. Now, we're going to get to our thoughts on the episode now, later. But as you have admitted that you were one of the, if it's not Kirk and Spock, it's not for me group. Do you think that your uh, analysis of the episode the first time you saw it kind of already had a not negative tone towards it, but a, I don't know if I'm going to like this type of thing. So that helped in you being disappointed with that first episode. Oh, sure. I think that's absolutely possible. But, you know, I think the other half of it is, is that I hadn't considered that Star Trek, like everything else evolves, right? I mean, this is a federation that is, you know, uh, for all intents and purposes, a hundred years. I'm rounding before we get emails um, after Kirk and Spock in the days of the original series. So, you know, uh, Starfleet would evolve. Uh, the way humanity approaches problems has evolved. You know, it's not uh, the captain beams down to the planet every week and gets the girl in season three. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was a different. It was a I think a more well thought out Star Trek than some of the original series episodes. I thought it had uh, conscience. Whereas before they were trying to make a TV series, for me, I, the, the distinction I draw is with this, they were trying to make Star Trek. And, I agree. I, I think they yeah. were trying to make something that was going to, like you said, evolve and build over a long period of time. Yeah. So I, I was not excited. I definitely didn't like the Enterprise D. I do like the Enterprise D now. And maybe that's because I've grown to love Next Generation and admit that I was completely wrong about it not being Star Trek if it doesn't have Kirk and Spock. Sure. So I, I'm I'm comfortable with my turnabout. You know, I, I admit, you know, mea culpa, mea, mea maxima culpa, I was wrong. But, <laughs> but far point. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me preface what we're going to get into in our conversation today with this. I watched it again last night with my beautiful bride, Susan, and I'm going to reference a lot of things that she said during our conversation. But one of the things that she said, which I want to bring out right out front because I thought it was hilarious, is when it was done, she was standing in front of the fireplace at our house and she looked at me with this look on her face and she goes, if I had watched this when Next Generation first came out, I never would have watched Star Trek again. Yeah. 
right? So the only way I continued watching Next Gen was because I used to watch it with a group of, of people I had known since high school. Because remember, I just barely turned 18. I graduated you know, that summer before it aired. And you know, we would get together and essentially we were our own support group. Right. And we started calling the show Wesley Trek as recently as episode two, because that's uh, the, the Naked Now, if memory serves. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it was like, seriously? Really? And then as the season, first season went on, we, we convened less and less, and I was watching it on my own, and I was starting to get the Star Trek vibe. But, you know, especially Farpoint, if I had, you know, left my decision on whether or not I was going to continue watching this series on that episode, mm-hmm. I would never have watched Star Trek again. See, for me, when when it aired, I was excited. I remember, um, I, like I said, I was at I was at CSU. Um, my friend Nicole had a TV in her dorm, so a bunch of us were in her dorm, and I was sitting on the floor in front of the TV. And I don't think I even like talked to anybody around me for the whole time the show was on because I was so excited and and in it. But yeah, wow, um, uh, yeah, it, we're gonna get into some of the wow yeah moments. I think uh, shortly. So, so let's talk up about where the franchise was at this point. We mentioned it a little bit with some of the, you know, the most successful Star Trek movies of all time. But in the movies, the stories were more action-based. Yes. They were more, we need to fit this into two hours and really grab an audience. So you had more things like, I don't know, uh, phasers firing and ships blowing up and, and along those lines. And this kind of marked Star Trek's return to television. And was it a return to the original you know, thoughts regarding Trek or was it charting a new course or, or was it a mixture of both? And I think that was the question that, that a lot of us had at the time. So I Dan, agree. What, what about Farpoint said, you know, th- this is classic Trek to me. I think what, I think that um, to answer your question, I think it was charting a new course, but it was also a return to Trek. So like you said, it's a mixture of both and the whole humanity on trial um, and how, humanity has evolved to it's one of peace and, and IDIC, which we talk about a lot over at discovering Trek. I think that was the real core of, of the Trek aspect of, of encounter at Farpoint. But at the same time, they were definitely charting a new course with this new technology, this new crew, these new people and new ideas. I, I personally think that it was, it was a very 50, 50 mix uh, of classic return to Trek and charting that new course. I can agree with that. You know, you figure that right off the bat, Gene went back to a, a, a classic Star Trek trope, which was the godlike being. Mm-hmm. You know, how many times do we see that in the original series? You know, Kirk and company come up against this being that has godlike powers and they have to figure out a way to defeat it. And in this episode, they don't really defeat Q but they placate him. And I, that was definitely a, a difference for this series. Mm -hmm. You know, at the time we watched this, we weren't sure if we were going to see Q again or not, because, you know, the recurring characters didn't happen a whole lot in, in TOS. Mm -hmm. So I think that it gave us something to chew on with regard to that. Yes. Humanity's on trial, but it's the kind of thing where we're always being evaluated and, and we do make the right decisions. You know, we're not what we were 100, 200, 300 years ago. And that's really what said classic Trek to me. So I have to agree with you on that level. I, I think the other thing that it showed us is that you know we can work past our differences as the human race and come together to do amazing things. And that's the other thing that really said classic Trek to me. 
Whereas the movies were about, hey, let's go get this bad guy. This was about, hey, let's come together and go explore the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And and that uh, that really was like coming home, that aspect. I agree. Uh, I, I I have to agree with that, as you like to say. Um, it It was... It was interesting. I like how you pointed out about Q and whether or not we were going to see it. Recurring characters, yeah, they were practically non-existent in the original series. So for the idea, and when Q left at the end of the first episode, he said, I'm not going to promise I'll never return again. It was like, oh, so this is going to be somebody that we're going to see again later if the show survives. Now, I didn't think that at the time, if the show survives, but um that's 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 another discussion point i guess we can bring up but uh, yeah i like your points man very very cool so let's let's talk about the actual far point scripts you know um because you know we're at that uh, at that point now you know this is this is really two stories that don't fit together well i mean i understand that that the dc fontana had written essentially the far point section of the script and gene came in afterward and added the q stuff around it and it, it it does not gel, not in my opinion. It is such a disorganized episode. It's very hard to to keep track of everything. And another thing that that my wife Susan said as we were watching this, you know, we it'd be switching, jumping around all over the place. And she goes, you know what the problem with this episode is? Is they're trying to do too much in one episode and it's very hard to follow and keep everything organized. And I think she's one hundred percent correct. You know, in hindsight, I absolutely think she's correct. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, yeah, I think they probably should have broken this out into separate episodes, you know, or, or, or given us more time to, to let some of these ideas bake in, you know, now, now granted that said, there is some great expositionary, you know, character stuff here, right? So by the time we get to the end of the, you know, the first couple of acts, we know who Picard is, mm-hmm. you know, we know, we get the sense of who Riker is. You know, he's he, he's the he's the guy who's going to take a lot of, of, you know, phaser fire on away teams. You know, we we understand Jordy on some level. You know, we get a really good look at data and what, you know, his character's quest is. Um, you know, we, we learn a lot about these characters right off the bat. And I think that's the I, I think that's the important part of DC Fontana's contribution to this episode, quite frankly. I think it was hilarious that right off the bat, like. 15 seconds after we, or maybe a minute after we meet Riker, he's already hitting on Crusher <laughs> in front of, in front of Wesley. I thought that was just hilarious. Um, but I agree with you. There were a couple of aspects of character um, development that I really was uncomfortable with in Farpoint though. Um, we got the, we got the Picard, we got the, we got the Riker. I was very uncomfortable with, with Tasha in this episode. I've got to say, I thought her scenes were very odd and specifically the scene where she kind of loses her temper in front of Q and starts screaming at him before she turns into a giant popsicle. I just felt that that was so weird that it kind of turned me off from the Yar character for a long time, to be honest with you. Well, I think that's part of the problem with Yar in general. I mean, it's really not got a lot to do with the way Denise portrayed it because she was you know, acting out the words and, and the direction they gave her, but there wasn't a whole lot of substance to Yar other than she came from you know the rape planet, right? You know, um, uh, I thought that they really did that character a disservice, and uh, I, maybe there was one too many characters in in the rotation on the bridge. I don't know, but 
I, I thought they could have made her a much stronger character given her position. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a woman. She's the chief of security on board this state-of-the-art vessel. You know, Picard obviously trusts her. So I thought that they could have done a lot better by that character to make her as strong as she should be. Yeah, um, I can agree with that. I also think that, unfortunately, um, at the time, it just seemed that he was just standing there and make up to, to hey, well, there's a Klingon on the ship. But I thought that, that Worf was very underutilized, especially in a counter at Firepoint. Luckily, we saw him develop uh, over the course of time. But you know what's funny? Uh, they brought together all of these characters and were meeting all of this major cast, but sometimes the acting was 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 not great. And at times, I thought that the people that didn't have big roles did the best job. Cole Meany, for example. I mean, we actually see we see O'Brien in the very first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. And even though he doesn't do much, he was more comfortable to watch, I think, than some of the major characters on the first episode. Yes. You know, I, I, I thought of that as I was rewatching that scene, you know, the other day. Yeah, but I think that speaks a lot to just how really great Cole Meany is. Yes. You know, he is he acts with such ease that uh, I think he brings that to all of his characters. Yeah. Um, but you know, you take a look at somebody like LeVar Burton, you know, who at this point, you know, in in Star Trek, he's the biggest name on this show. I mean, he, he is known all over the world for roots, and the first thing they did was cover up his eyes. Yes. <laughs> Those amazing eyes and can i tell you bill uh sorry to interrupt you when he first was on the show i didn't know it was him for that very reason i didn't recognize who it was yeah 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 this is this is an actor who you know has has gained incredible notoriety for his portrayal of kunta kinte and i was excited because wow they got lavar burton oh my word and and then they really didn't give him a whole lot to do in that, especially in that first episode. I mean, it's really not till season two that Jordy really starts to to get a task, right? And and to lead. So, but you know, between him and and Will Wheaton, arguably the biggest names in the cast at the time, nobody knew who Frakes was or Patrick Stewart. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even know that Michael Dorn was the guy from Chips until years later. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Yeah. Uh, with all of the characters that we meet, of course, this is the first episode and everybody's, you know, getting their footing and so forth. For me, and I'm going to ask you the question, the best performance in this episode from an acting perspective, would, to me, unquestionably, was John Delancey's Q. Who was it for you? Wow, that's tough. Um, this is going to be an unpopular opinion. I feel like we almost need an unpopular opinion sound drop. Almost kind of like the, uh, <laughs> no, almost kind of like the, uh, the spoiler alert siren. Oh, okay. Yeah. Where that says unpopular opinion. I got an idea. Black alert. Well, no, I, it should say unpopular opinion, unpopular oh. opinion. All right. But, uh, I'm going to say Jonathan Frakes because he inhabits Riker right off the bat. And you get the sense of of who Riker is immediately. You don't necessarily get that with Picard. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're still kind of learning who Picard is. You know that he's not a big fan of children. You know that that he's been a captain for a while. But I think they wait to to give us those those nuggets about Picard. Whereas with Riker, off the bat, you get immediately the sense of who he is. 
because they tell us, right? He's the guy who wouldn't let his captain beam down. He's the guy who, who takes the captain's security, you know, uh, as, as more important than anything. You know, he's, he's, he's a dedicated guy. You know, when Jordy first comes up to him at Farpoint uh, to report about the Enterprise, you know, the first thing he says, is this an official report? And Jordy snaps too and says, right. sir. Yeah. So he's, he's that guy. And I think that that Frakes really set the tone for Riker amazingly well. Now, the best part is, is, you know, in later seasons, they get to ease off that a little bit and show some of Riker's warmth, which I think is all Frakes. So for me, it's probably Frakes number one, Delancey 1A. Nice. I like that. And and I agree 100% with what you said. I love the scene in the ready room, although they really need to turn the lights on in the ready room and encounter at Firepoint. Uh, when he's like, Picard's like, are you going to back off of that in, in relation to beaming or the captain going on away missions and Frakes is, or Riker's like, no, I'm not going to, that's my job. I thought that was, that was a great scene and really cemented what this first officer was going to be about on the enterprise. You know, there's a lot that, that we could pick apart this episode for, and I don't necessarily want to do that. I would rather talk about the things that really spoke to us as Star Trek fans, because I think that's really the key to enjoying Encounter at Farpoint. So, uh, you know, you mentioned that scene. What else about this episode, you know, is something that, that really speaks to your Star Trek fandom or that you really enjoyed? I think one of the things, I don't know if it's so much Star Trek, but one of the things that I liked most about this, it's another Riker-esque scene and that's when he beams onto the enterprise for the first time and picard just kind of like waves him off he's like yeah okay blah 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 blah. welcome aboard but then later he brings him into the ready room to talk about what's going on and then he says i want you to uh connect the saucer section and i want you to do it manually it was like and everybody even data's like whoa, whoa, whoa huh i thought that was great i was like okay this captain's gonna test him right off the bat he's gonna show who's in charge and i thought it was a great scene now, oh, it absolutely is a great scene. Yeah. I will say, and I was in a little bit of a disagreement with Susan about this, the scene of connecting the, the Enterprise back together, oh my God, it took forever. It's like, dude, just connect it and let's get to the next scene. But wanted to show that he could do it and and it was a big tense moment for him uh, from, from Sue's perspective. But um, I did like the fact that Picard just right out of the gate said, here, do this. I'm going to challenge you. It is kind of funny that Riker winds up looking at the back of Picard's head for his first several interactions. <laughs> <laughs> Even when he first walks into the ready room on the battle bridge, Picard is facing the camera. Right. You know, and it's like, okay. Um, yeah, great. Nice to meet you too, buddy. Um, I think uh, one of the things I really appreciate uh, about this episode is the fact that it, it really gives us the time to get a proper introduction to these characters, Right. So that's not really not the kind of thing we got with the original series. I mean, they chose to air the man trap first. Not really a good introductory episode. You know, it wasn't uh, for a couple of weeks before they aired where no man has gone before. And that kind of gives us an introduction, but certainly not in the level that Farpoint does with with telling you who this, you know, this crew is. So I think that's one of the things I really appreciate about this episode is that it took the time to make those introductions because this was new. You know, this was not Kirk and Spock. And we had to sort of to learn about these people. I, I like the fact that they were doing this. It, it goes back to what we talked about a few minutes ago, um, that th- they're setting a new course. This, you know, TOS was already established. They didn't have those introductions in the, in the series, so to speak. With this one, you did. 
did. So you kind of felt that this was going to be going somewhere. But at the same time, I appreciate the fact that they did all of these introductions. It also, I also kind of have to go back to what I said before about it seemed like there was a lot going on. This is a big crew. There's a lot of people and there's a lot of characters. It's certainly no Game of Thrones where you have to remember all of these weird names that you've never heard before. But at the same time, somebody coming in new might have been a little bit too much to chew on for that first episode with all of these different people going on. Plus the fact that they're being put on trial and they've got this new station that they're checking out and the, um, uh, the Zoppler Dorn or whatever his name was. <laughs> Groppler Zorn. Groppler, Groppler Zorn. <laughs> Who is that guy? Who's the, who's the, about the voice of about a million animated characters at that time. First time I heard his voice. I'm like, wait a second. I've heard that guy's voice. That's a riot. Um, is what else do you really like about this episode? Well, you know, I, I have to be honest. We knew that this episode was of, of the podcast was coming up and watching it again. I'm looking for the positive things. And I, I hate to bash it because it's not what we like to do. But at the same time, I'm not going to shy away from the fact that it's just not a great episode. And it's really hard to find specific things that I that I enjoyed. I I loved Delancey's performance. I loved when he would was changing into the different, quote unquote, costumes, like the World War II uniform. I thought that scene was great. I did not like the uniform with the soldiers that had that that were sniffing a drug i would assume um i didn't like that part but his scenes were as we've seen with everything that delancey does were strong his character even though so confusing because he's this omnipotent being and a godlike like you said before he carries those scenes he carries the scenes when somebody like like patrick stewart is there he still carries the scene now that changes over the course of time but uh, he was he was brilliant in this. I really liked Delancey's performance as Q. It's funny we say this all the time. Nobody could have, nobody else could have done it. But we never saw anybody else try to do it. But I got to think that nobody would have played Q better than Delancey. I agree with that. Can you imagine if Delancey had been Riker? Just wouldn't <laughs> oh have been the gosh, same. Gosh, yeah, wouldn't have been the same. No, nope, so, not at all. So, uh, like you said, we don't want to bash this episode because you know you're right. That's not what we do here. But what? might we have liked to have seen done differently in this episode? What small change, um, you know, what's, what different development might you have liked to seen uh, in the production of Encounter at Farpoint? Well, you just hit the nail on the head. I think the production is the thing that I have the most problem. The post-production is what I have the most issues with knowing what we expect with Star Trek nowadays. And of course, it's been 30 years since this aired. The, the scenes... It's it's so odd and and unnerving to be perfectly honest when they're sitting on the bridge or in a ready room and their voices are echoing because there's no ambient engine noise that you can really hear. That drives me that drives me crazy watching this episode and it's a small thing but it's something that you become so used to when it is put into place. The echoing, the 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 dark lighting in the in the ready room I mentioned before, that's another thing that really was like driving me crazy. Um little things like that, but little things become big things. One of the things that I think drove me most crazy with this episode, because I understand it's a it's a quote two-parter. It's a it's a mini movie. It's the first Star Trek we've had in over 20 years. They wasted so much time in this episode cutting to every character just staring straight ahead, waiting for something to happen. 
And when you're doing it with six or seven characters, that adds up to a lot of dead time in, in the episode, I think. What do you think about that? I hadn't thought about that, but I can absolutely see what you're talking about. You know, there's that first um, scene, you know, where we, you know, we see the opening credits and then, you know, we see the Enterprise come into frame and then we come over the top of the hull mm -hmm. and then you see Picard in the darkness and there's a couple of beats before he actually walks forward into the light. And I'm like going, uh, okay, um, why is he just standing there in the dark? <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's it's that kind of thing where, you know, um, they could have just shown him looking out the window or taking one step into the light as if he had been walking toward the window all along. Some definite, you know, editing choices that I'm not sure I would have made. So I can I can totally respect where you're coming from with that. Yeah. For me, I would have liked to have seen Encounter at Farpoint be a three-part story. And and I think that that would have been kind of game changing for television at that time. Not not like this wasn't already, but right. I think that it would have been a more effective way to tell these particular stories. So part one, you know, do the Q thing, have the trial, you know, and then sort of present the beginnings of of the whole Farpoint Station story, and then part two, do the Farpoint Station story, or most of it, you know, and then in part three. You can you can have Q come back, you know, and you can have a, a bigger discussion, and maybe there's some different conflict that comes in at the end, but you have more time to have better character moments and not necessarily have people staring into space at nothing. So I think that really could have said and done a lot with regard to you know the, the tone and the pace of the series. Quite honestly, I, I think it definitely would have established Next Gen as its own thing, and and the producers wouldn't have had to worry about well. You know, are people just going to be waiting for Kirk and Spock? Because at this point, their course would have been firmly set. Right. I, I don't think that's ever been done, a three-part premiere. That's that's a very cool uh, idea, man. Let's do that. Okay. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, yeah. It, there's like we've talked about it. it. There's so much going on in this that uh, I think of, I think stretching it out into yet another episode is a very good idea. I uh, I like that, man. I like that a lot. Well, thanks. So, Dan, lastly, where for you does Farpoint fall compared to all of the other pilot episodes? You know, it's um, I, I feel like, you know, we, we've had an embarrassment of riches as far as Star Trek pilots. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, where does this one fall in the, in the Pantheon? Well, I'm not going to lie. It's not high for me now. We've talked before about, you know, what's the real pilot of TOS? And I'm going to go with Man Trap because it's the first one that was shown. I love Man Trap. It doesn't give, you know, character background or anything like that, but it's a great episode. I love Man Trap. So a lot of people will put Man Trap as one of their worst. I, especially now with Discovery. So now we have a, a lot, you know, more to, to talk about and, Farpoint, from a standpoint of enjoyability and 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 Star Trek, it's got to be near the bottom, if not the last one for me, man. I I hate to say it, but it's it's low. Yeah, which is so amazing to think of because Next Generation is such an amazing series. It's the majority of people's favorite series. Of course, Deep Space Nine is ours, but everybody that almost everybody I talk to, what's your favorite series? Oh, I grew up on TNG. TNG is my favorite. It's it's amazing that. With an it, with a pilot that, looking back on it thirty years later, is or can be considered not awesome, 
that the series is so beloved, but for me, it's right down there near the bottom. Yeah, it's not my favorite. Um, I do think it has some good moments, but if you know, if I'm going to watch the other pilots, if I had to rank them, it absolutely would be down toward the bottom. Yeah. Um, I, I think that I think the other spinoffs rank far ahead of it, and even TOS, honestly. Um, yeah, I mean, we're not we're not huge Voyager fans, but Caretaker is is infinitely better than Encounter at Farpoint. I think oh, Caretaker is a fantastic pilot. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a great episode of Star Trek. Yeah, it's it's Honestly. really it's it's really amazing to think that uh, that a a pilot can can fall on its feet so to speak like in my opinion Farpoint does on a on a bunch of levels and the series it's it's as if ah, that's just one episode we got these other 100 plus 160 170 plus episodes that we're just going to kill it except for some of the ones in season 7 but um it's 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 interesting to think of it, and like Sue said if this was the first episode of Next Generation that she watched, she wouldn't have watched anymore. Yeah, it's amazing to think how far the series came after this. You know, it uh, it was an okay start. You know, if it, if you look at it on its own and don't compare it to any of the other Star Treks, it's not a bad beginning for the series. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that they learned a lot of lessons from this pilot. And in writing the other ones, I think they applied many of those lessons because the pilots kept progressively getting better and better. But if you look at this as a standalone, you know, for the series, it's not a bad first start for getting Star Trek back off the ground on television again. And I think that's part of the the joy of this episode. You know, if if you're looking for something to really appreciate in this episode, you know, examine this uh, this Farpoint episode on its own and make the evaluation that way because th- th- there's there's some okay Star Trek here. Honestly, there is. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't think that I'm saying that it's an episode I hate and I would never watch it. It's certainly not Aquiel. I mean, I'd watch <laughs> this 150,000 times to one version of Aquiel or Sub Rosa, but uh, Code um, of Honor. there are some parts that are, that are not great at, uh, without a doubt. At the end of the day, it's not Code of Honor. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Dan, that kind of concludes our look at, uh, at Farpoint. You know, it was a, it was kind of fun to watch it again. Yeah, there were some cringeworthy moments, but there's some moments that make you go, oh, yeah. And I think that's really part of the the fun of, of watching this episode again or re-watching it. Um, it's one I may have to dig up again in a few more years. Maybe we get to TNG 35 and uh, and maybe look at it from, from a different angle as a the more nostalgic view. Perhaps that'd be fun. I like that. One of the things also I wanted to point out very quickly before we wrap it up is this was also... For me, one of the things I loved about it, and it did get better as everything did with with TNG, this was the first time we've had Star Trek with these amazing special effects. We were used to the 60s special effects, and now we're getting stuff that we had never seen before. And that was very cool to see back uh, in the late 80s, mid 80s. Yeah, the first time I saw that ILM was doing the effects on Next Gen, I was like, whoa, that's awesome. Because, you know, they had done, you know, the best effects for uh, for the movies. Mm-hmm. at that time and so it was very exciting dan you know what else is really exciting my man i'm i, I think i know what you're going to talk about but i'm going to let you you know drop the bomb buddy well you know i'm going to say five-year mission that's exciting you know every time it comes up on my ipod in the car i get really excited and i you know i commute about an hour to work and traffic at times and what better way to pass that time and listen to one of their albums dan they provide five-year mission that is 
every last bit of music for the Trek Geeks podcast and for discovering Trek. And we love these guys, don't we? We do love these guys. And, you know, we're talking about the first episode of The Next Generation today. You would think that I would have something to say about Encounter at Fark Point, wouldn't you? But I'm not going to do that, Bill. You know why? No. Because I've already done that one. So I had to think of something new. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But five-year mission, you know, their music is amazing. We love it. And, And the pull for their music is very strong. We can't fight it, Bill. You know that. I know that. And as fans, we must feed that hunger that is five-year mission music, don't you think? You know, our heart is flame. Our ears are flame. It is that private and mysterious ritual where we must listen to five-year mission. And it is called the Pawn Fark. We have to live with it, Bill. My ears are on fire right now. <laughs> You're not lying. Um, <laughs> that could be a song lyric. Um, the yeah. pawn fark. Yes. Yeah. Does that mean it's, we have this feeling once every seven years? And then, our blood is we, burning. If we don't do anything about it, we'll die. <laughs> uh, little, I think some people are dying right now listening to this farkism. Uh, I'm a little concerned because I didn't prepare for that. And this, quite frankly, took a turn. <laughs> you... You have issues. Dan, we want everyone to head on over to fiveyearmission.net. Please check out all their music, download their albums, become as big of fans as we are, because we want these guys back at STLV as the house band in 2018. And you can help do something about that by tweeting Creation Entertainment, messaging Facebook Entertainment, uh, writing to Facebook Entertainment, whatever you want to do. But please let them know you'd love to see Five Year Mission back as the house band for STLV in 2018. Uh, Dan, we also want to remind people they can subscribe to this here independent Star Trek podcast on on a number of devices and get it automatically delivered every Tuesday. You can find out more at subscribe.trekgeeks.com. Get this podcast on your iPhone, your iPod, your Android phone, your Microsoft Zoom. Dan can get on a Sony Walkman if he wants, I'm sure. Wow. But uh, subscribe and uh, and enjoy. That's all we can say. Make that so. Dan, next week, uh-huh. it's, uh, it's a discussion we've known was coming for a long time, and we're gonna, it's going to be a big-time episode. It's going to be a big-time episode indeed, my friend. So next week, we talked about it earlier during news. We're going to take a look at the final episode of Star Trek Continues in a supersized episode of Trek Geeks, and joining us yet again to give us all the behind-the-scenes details will be the captain himself, Vic Mignogna. And Bill, this is going to be his eighth appearance on your independent Star Trek podcast. That is amazing stuff. It's To Boldly Go Part 2 next week on Trek Geeks. Wow. Eight times. Eight. You know, uh, there is going to be a lot to talk about and uh, and Vic wants to talk about it all, so I I, I can't wait. It's going to be amazing and heartbreaking at the same time. Uh. <laughs> Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to head on over to the Tricorder Transmissions online at the TricorderTransmissions.com. A brand new podcast over there called Politrex about uh, politics through the lens of Star Trek, which we think everybody's going to enjoy. But they have so many other great shows guaranteed to please just about every Star Trek fan in the Alpha and Beta Quadrants. Plus, 
For all the news on all the Star Treks, please visit our wonderful friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 120 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Sir, it's wonderful. A feeling of great joy and coconut. Great joy and coconut for both of us. No, I think that's just for you. Okay. You know what my wife said when that line happened? What's up? Uh, Is there any reason why she had to say it twice? (laughs) (laughs) It was twice as nice. Aww. Bong. What's up? <laughs> what was that? Uh, I'm in a singing mood, you know. I was almost Aaron Nevelish. <laughs> oh God! Did you okay? See, now we're almost in the holiday season. We actually were listening to Christmas music yesterday when we were nice. driving home, and I won't lie, I was doing a little Aaron Neville. <laughs> Of course you are. You can't help yourself. Yes. You can do Aaron Neville with just about anything, really. You know. Because I'm bad. You know it. <laughs> Wait, is that the Michael Jackson song, Bad? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just thought of the first song that came to my head, and that was it. So I had to try to figure out how to do it. So wait, the first song that came to your head was Bad by Michael Jackson. Yeah. You yeah. have issued. Well, we were going through stuff uh, in the in the basement yesterday, packing up stuff, and a, had a ton of CDs. And of course, all my MJ collection was there, and so and the one that was on top was was that one. So it was in my mind. Wait, wait a second. Let's back up here for a second. You have a Michael Jackson collection? Oh God, dude! Back in the eighties, oh yeah, oh yeah, I loved him when I was when I was younger. Yep. How, how have I not known this? You didn't know that? No. Wow. Oh my God. Yeah, I had every I had everything of his. Yes. I, wow. Uh-huh. I have no idea what to do with this information. You should have seen me back in, oh God, when was it? 84, 85, when I had the thriller jacket and at a Halloween party at the Nashua Country Club. I was Michael. Oh, yeah. Glove, shoes, hat, jacket, hair, everything, sunglasses. It's pretty fun. I, wow. Yeah. Did you, get set, on, did you get set on fire at any point? Because that would have been my wish. No, I was not drinking Pepsi that night, so I was good. Wow. Yes. So um, I didn't know you knew that. Didn't know. No, that. I, I had no idea. I'm big fan. Big fan. I'm stunned. I can't wait for Fark to find this out. <laughs> well, you like, know. I feel like this reveals a side of you that we never imagined, and none of us imagined possible. Oh, you know, it, it's it's kind of hard. If on any given day, who's better? Jackson or Fark? It it all depends on my mood, man. Well, right now it's Fark because you know it's Fark. He he's alive. 
<laughs> too soon? <laughs> too soon? No, not too soon. <laughs> what you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking uh, some Green Mountain uh, Nantucket blend coffee. Uh, See, so I, I got up this morning and I was making my first cup and, yeah. and I screwed up. Okay. I meant to grab the Nantucket because I usually like to have that for my first cup. And then I have something flavored for my second cup. And I grabbed the flavored cake up by accident first, which was cinnamon sugar cookie. Okay. So I had that first. And uh, so now I am I am uh, having my Nantucket, which is kind of my go-to. Okay. It's not Folgers, right? No, it's Green Mountain, Nantucket. Okay. Because the I best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup. Can you imagine if Shatner had ever done a Folgers commercial? And like the Christmas one, the Christmas one that makes my younger sister cry every single time where Peter comes home for the holidays. <laughs> it's like, Peter, you know, my sister turns into just a, uh, you know, a, a, a blubbering pile of tears. And can you imagine Shatner in that scene? You know, the guy comes home from college. He's got the knapsack slung over his back. He lets himself into the house. He's downstairs. He's making coffee. The lights come on and Shatner walks in and goes, Peter, I'll. Take my coffee black. That would have been Peter. great. <laughs> oh my god! Not as emotional. No, no, no. That's a good coffee flavor. We, we, as I told you uh, the other day, we were down in your area uh, for a couple of days, and we went to Parker's Maple House. Thanks for calling. For well, we had things to discuss. You know. Thanks for calling. Well, you, you know, you were working. Excuses. Yeah, one of us does. <laughs> So um, I got some Parker's Maple House K-Cups. I didn't know they had those. Uh, we didn't either. So I am I am uh, sipping on a maple coconut right now, and I'm not lying. Oh, oh. <laughs> I just threw up in my mouth. I also got a maple bacon coffee K-Cup. That which sounds I okay. Yeah. Uh, maple walnut. I'm sensing a trend. Sugar maple. Yeah, and maple. So back to the Shatner thing for a second. They they okay. could have made Peter his nephew Peter Kirk. And it could have been <laughs> Captain Kirk in the kitchen. Oh, uh, that would have been beautiful. Peter, you're home from Starfleet Academy. <laughs> Is this Peter Kirk before the Gorgon? <laughs> <laughs> well, after. I mean, like, so he was too young to be at the Academy at that age, right? So true, true. um, you know, he he would have been, you know, older and Looking more gawky and stuff, and he'd can come I, home. Um, Go ahead. Can I give you a slight spoiler about a certain, uh, just one or one paragraph of the new autobiography of Jean Luc Picard? Um, considering you're giving that spoiler to everybody, okay, sure. Peter Kirk is in it. That's a good trick. Interesting. And but it's not a good captain. He's not a good captain. <laughs> he's like a, just like a captain of like a like a garbage scow or something like that. But he's in it. So he holds the equivalent job that Dan Davidson would hold in Starfleet. In fact, no, they would have given you the job that all the EMHs that that have been decommissioned were given in Voyager, cleaning impulse manifolds or whatever it was. That what would are you be, be like job. this, and they would have replaced all the EMH Mark ones with you. So there would have been thousands of me running around, basically. No, there would have been one, and you just would have had work, you know, for a thousand years. <laughs> so I think I think we're all better off when there's only one of you. Uh, 
Can we get started? <laughs> no, I'm not ready. You're having you're having fun. I can tell. Sp- oh, yeah. Speaking of William Shatner, I got another thing to tell you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, scrolling through Facebook uh, or Twitter last night. Um, of course, there's the Rhode Island Convention this weekend. Right. That, that's we're recording. Today is November twelfth, two thousand seventeen, and one of the pictures was of the um, of a bunch of cast wrapping up their uh, session on stage, and it was Brent and Michael Dorn and Marina and Frakes, and next to Frakes was the Captain William Shatner. So he was on the stage with the at TNG panel. Yeah, he's been hosting a lot of those TNG thirty reunion panels at other cons. That's beautiful. It's the first time I'd actually seen a picture with all of them together. Which I don't get why. He hasn't watched his own show, and he sure as hell hasn't watched theirs. True. Unless he gets paid for it. Oh, I'm sure he's getting paid for it. No, no. I mean paid for watching the show. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's the only instance I can see that happening. And then our friend Sarah Hope from STLV had a great picture of all of that same cast, including Shatner, as a photo op. It's pretty good. Interesting. The backdrop looked like a cement wall, though, so I don't know. <laughs> it's Rhode Island. That's entirely possible. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, the, indeed. That's the scenic part of Rhode Island. And before we get hate mail from Rhode Island, um, we're, uh, we're from you know, New Hampshire and Maine, respectively. We know we're telling the truth. <laughs> that's true. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's okay, though. That's fine. All right, Jerk, you ready to do this? I am. Encounter at Farpoint. Ah! 